0: Chapter 2 of Barchester Towers by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom. Chapter 2: Hiram's Hospital According to Act of Parliament. It is hardly necessary that I should here give to the public any lengthened biography of Mr. Harding up to the period of the commencement of this tale the public cannot have forgotten how ill that sensitive gentleman bore the attack that was made on him in the columns of the jupiter with reference to the income which he received as warden of hiram's hospital in the city of barchester nor can it yet be forgotten that a lawsuit was instituted against him on the matter of that charity by mr john bold who afterwards married his, Mr. Harding's, younger and then only unmarried daughter. Under pressure of these attacks, Mr. Harding had resigned his wardenship, though strongly recommended to abstain from doing so, both by his friends and by his lawyers. He did, however, resign it, and betook himself manfully to the duties of the small parish of St. Cuthbert's, in the city, of which he was vicar continuing also to perform those of precentor of the cathedral a situation of small emolument which had hitherto been supposed to be joined as a matter of course to the wardenship of the hospital above spoken of when he left the hospital from which he had been so ruthlessly driven and settled himself down in his own modest manner in the high street of barchester He had not expected that others would make more fuss about it than he was inclined to do himself. Extent of his hope was that the movement might have been made in time to prevent any further paragraphs in the Jupiter. His affairs, however, were not allowed to subside thus quietly, and people were quite as much inclined to talk about the disinterested sacrifice he had made as they had before been to abrade him for his cupidity the most remarkable thing that occurred was the receipt of an autographed letter from the archbishop of canterbury in which the primate very warmly praised his conduct and begged to know what his intentions were for the future mr harding replied that he intended to be rector of st cuthbert's in barchester and so that matter dropped then the newspapers took up his case, the Jupiter among the rest, and wafted his name in eulogistic strains through every reading-room in the nation. It was discovered also that he was the author of that great musical work, Harding's Church Music, and a new edition was spoken of, though I believe never printed. It is however certain that the work was introduced into the Royal Chapel at St James's, and that a long criticism appeared in the musical scrutator declaring that in no previous work of the kind had so much research been joined with such exalted musical ability and asserting that the name of harding would henceforward be known wherever the arts were cultivated or religion valued this was high praise and I will not deny that Mr. Harding was gratified by such flattery, for if Mr. Harding was vain on any subject, it was on that of music. But here the matter rested. The second edition, if printed, was never purchased. The copies which had been introduced into the Royal Chapel disappeared again, and were laid by in peace with a load of similar literature. Mr. Towers of the Jupiter, And his brethren occupied themselves with other names and the undying fame promised to our friend was clearly intended to be posthumous mr harding had spent much of his time with his friend the bishop much with his daughter mrs bold now alas a widow and had almost daily visited the wretched remnant of his former subjects the few surviving beadsmen now left at Hiram's hospital. Six of them were still living. The number, according to old Hiram's will, should always have been twelve. But after the abdication of their warden, the bishop had appointed no successor to him, no new occupants of the charity had been nominated, and it appeared as though the hospital at Barchester would fall into abeyance unless the powers that be should take some steps towards putting it once more into working order. During the past five years the powers that be had not overlooked Barchester Hospital, and sundry political doctors had taken the matter in hand. Shortly after Mr. Harding's resignation, the Jupiter had very clearly shown what ought to be done. In about half a column, it had distributed the income rebuilt the buildings put an end to all bickerings regenerated kindly feeling provided for mr harding and placed the whole thing on a footing which could not but be satisfactory to the city and bishop of barchester and to the nation at large the wisdom of this scheme was testified by the number of letters which common sense veritas and one that loves fair play sent to the jupiter all expressing admiration and amplifying on the details given it is singular enough that no adverse letter appeared at all and therefore none of course was written but cassandra was not believed and even the wisdom of the jupiter sometimes falls on deaf ears though other plans did not put themselves forward in the columns of the jupiter reformers of church charities were not slack to make known in various places their different nostrums for setting hiram's hospital on its feet again a learned bishop took occasion in the upper house to allude to the matter intimating that he had communicated on the subject with his right reverend brother of barchester The radical member for Stalybridge had suggested that the funds should be alienated for the education of the agricultural poor of the country, and he amused the house by some anecdotes, touching the superstition and habits of the agriculturists in question. A political pamphleteer had produced a few dozen pages which he called Who Are John Hiram's Heirs?, intended to give an infallible rule for the governance of all such establishments. At last a member of the government promised that in the next session a short bill should be introduced for regulating the affairs of Barchester and other kindred concerns. The next session came, and contrary to custom the bill came also men's minds were then intent on other things the first threatenings of a huge war hung heavily over the nation and the question as to hiram's heirs did not appear to interest very many people either in or out of the house the bill however was read and re-read and in some undistinguished manner passed through its eleven stages without appeal or dissent What would John Hiram have said in the matter could he have predicted that some forty-five gentlemen would take on themselves to make a law altering the whole purport of his will without in the least knowing at the moment of their making it what it was that they were doing? It is however to be hoped that the Under-Secretary for the Home Office knew, for to him had the matter been confided. The bill, however, did pass. And at the time at which this history is supposed to commence, it had been ordained that there should be, as heretofore, twelve old men in Barchester Hospital, each with one and fourpence a day, that there should also be twelve old women to be located in a house to be built, each with one and twopence a day, that there should be a matron with a house and seventy pounds a year, a steward with a hundred and fifty pounds a year and latterly a warden with four hundred and fifty pounds a year who should have the spiritual guidance of both establishments and the temporal guidance of that appertaining to the male sex the bishop dean and warden were as formerly to appoint in turn the recipients of the charity and the bishop was to appoint the officers There was nothing said as to the wardenship being held by the presenter of the cathedral, nor a word as to Mr. Harding's right to the situation. It was not, however, till some months after the death of the old bishop, and almost immediately consequent on the installation of his successor, that notice was given that the reform was about to be carried out. The new law and the new bishop were among the earliest works of a new ministry or rather of a ministry who having for a while given place to their opponents had then returned to power and the death of dr grantly occurred as we have seen exactly at the period of the change poor eleanor bold how well does that widow's cap become her and the solemn gravity with which she devotes herself to her new duties poor eleanor poor eleanor i cannot say that with me john bold was ever a favourite i never thought him worthy of the wife he had won but in her estimation he was most worthy hers was one of those feminine hearts which cling to a husband not with idolatry for worship can admit of no defect in its idol but with the perfect tenacity of ivy As the parasite-plant will follow even the defects of the trunk which it embraces, so did Eleanor cling to and love the very faults of her husband. She had once declared that whatever her father did should in her eyes be right. She then transferred her allegiance, and became ever ready to defend the worst failings of her lord and master and John Bold was a man to be loved by a woman. He was himself affectionate, he was confiding and manly, and that arrogance of thought, unsustained by first-rate abilities, that attempt at being better than his neighbours, which jarred so painfully on the feelings of his acquaintance, did not injure him in the estimation of his wife. Could she even have admitted that he had a fault, his early death would have blotted out the memory of it she wept as for the loss of the most perfect treasure with which mortal woman had ever been endowed for weeks after he was gone the idea of future happiness in this world was hateful to her consolation as it is called was insupportable and tears and sleep were her only relief but God tempers the wind to the shorn lamb. She knew that she had within her the living source of other cares. She knew that there was to be created for her another subject of weal or woe, of unutterable joy or despairing sorrow, as God, in his mercy, might vouchsafe to her. At first this did but augment her grief. To be the mother of a poor infant, orphaned before it was born brought forth to the sorrows of an ever desolate hearth nurtured amidst tears and wailing and then turned adrift into the world without the aid of a father's care there was at first no joy in this by degrees however her heart became anxious for another object and before its birth the stranger was expected with all the eagerness of a longing mother just eight months after the father's death a second john bold was born and if the worship of one creature can be innocent in another let us hope that the adoration offered over the cradle of the fatherless infant may not be imputed as a sin it will not be worth our while to define the character of the child or to point out in how far the faults of the father were redeemed within that little breast by the virtues of the mother. The baby, as a baby, was all that was delightful, and I cannot foresee that it will be necessary for us to inquire into the facts of his afterlife. Our present business at Barchester will not occupy us above a year or two at the furthest, and I will leave it to some other pen to produce, if necessary." the biography of John Bold the Younger. But as a baby, this baby was all that could be desired. This fact no one attempted to deny. Is he not delightful? she would say to her father, looking up into his face from her knees, her lustrous eyes overflowing with soft tears, her young face encircled by her close widow's cap, and her hands on each side of the cradle in which her treasure was sleeping the grandfather would gladly admit that the treasure was delightful and the uncle archdeacon himself would agree and mrs grantly eleanor's sister would re-echo the word with true sisterly energy and mary bold but mary bold was a second worshipper at the same shrine The baby was really delightful. He took his food with a will, struck out his toes merrily whenever his legs were uncovered, and did not have fits. These are supposed to be the strongest points of baby perfection, and in all these our baby excelled. And thus the widow's deep grief was softened, and a sweet balm was poured into the wound which she had thought nothing but death could heal. How much kinder is God to us than we are willing to be to ourselves! At the loss of every dear face, at the last going of every beloved one, we all doom ourselves to an eternity of sorrow, and look to waste ourselves away in an ever-running fountain of tears. How seldom does such grief endure! how blessed is the goodness which forbids it to do so let me ever remember my living friends but forget them as soon as dead was the prayer of a wise man who understood the mercy of god few perhaps would have the courage to express such a wish and yet to do so would only be to ask for that release from sorrow which a kind creator almost always extends to us i would not however have it imagined that mrs bold forgot her husband she daily thought of him with all conjugal love and enshrined his memory in the innermost centre of her heart but yet she was happy in her baby it was so sweet to press the living toy to her breast and feel that a human being existed who did owe and was to owe everything to her whose daily food was drawn from herself whose little wants could all be satisfied by her whose little heart would first love her and her only whose infant tongue would make its first effort in calling her by the sweetest name a woman can hear and so eleanor's bosom became tranquil and she set about her new duties eagerly and gratefully. As regards the concerns of the world, John Bold had left his widow in prosperous circumstances. He had bequeathed to her all that he possessed, and that comprised an income much exceeding what she or her friends thought necessary for her. It amounted to nearly a thousand a year. When she reflected on its extent, her dearest hope was to hand it over not only unimpaired but increased to her husband's son to her own darling to the little man who now lay sleeping on her knee happily ignorant of the cares which were to be accumulated in his behalf when john bold died she earnestly implored her father to come and live with her but this mr harding declined though for some weeks. He remained with her as a visitor. He could not be prevailed upon to forego the possession of some small home of his own, and so remained in the lodgings he had first selected over a chemist's shop in the High Street of Barchester. End of chapter two. Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom.